Men's Alliance is a growing movement of tribes meeting weekly for a rugged outdoor workout and a real-world devotion around a fire. We're flipping tires, swinging sledgehammers, talking about real struggles, and getting pushed physically and spiritually to become the husbands, fathers, and leaders God designed us to be. We'll get you out of isolation, out of your comfort zone, and into something tribal, rugged, and real. Welcome to the Men's Alliance Podcast. I'm Dave Goose Mills, flying solo today, about to connect over the phone with an incredible guest, David Eubank of Free Burma Rangers. If you've ever seen this documentary, you know who I'm talking about. We have David Eubank with us on the phone today. He's up in the mountains um, at, a, at a rodeo ranch right now on the West Coast. Took the time out to dial in with us. So, you know, you'll you'll be able to tell here during this conversation that the the connection is is a little shaky, but it's absolutely worth it. This is one of the um best testimonies you'll ever hear from a Christian man out there on the front lines, living, working, operating in the jungle, helping bring the word of God to people who are being shot at because their countries are in civil war. That's where he goes. That's where he works. He was a former special forces, uh, us army officer, ranger and green beret before he got out of the military and became a missionary to Burma. That's where it all started. That's where it got the name free Burma Rangers. Let's go now. Listen in to this great conversation. If you would just, uh, just, Give a brief overview for any of our listeners who um, have completely and utterly failed thus far to watch your documentary. Because <laughs> if you're listening to this, guys, you need to watch Free Burma Rangers. It's the most powerful uh, documentary about a Christian ministry that I've ever seen. And so that's who we have with us today. This is uh, Dave Eubank from the Free Burma Ranger documentary, the founder. Free Burma Rangers. So we're talking with them today. So David, give us a give us the overview of your ministry and what you guys do. Well, first, thanks for having having me on. And my wife is here at a Christian rodeo camp. She's cooking, and my kids are all involved in the camp. They love to rodeo, and it's a just a blessing. When I come here, it's like taking a spiritual bath. I don't have a job here, so I just get to. Do my work and go for a run or a, a hobble and enjoy God's creation and everything. In terms of our work, we're the free, here it is right here, free Burma Rangers. And we're not Ukrainian, but we've got different flags. And since the invasion of Ukraine, we have felt a solidarity with them because, for example, in Burma, one of our main areas of work, it's 73 years of fighting, millions displaced. It's not very well known, but it's a terrible situation. So uh, the, our mission is to give help, hope, and love in conflict areas we're invited to, such as Burma. That's where we got the name Free Burma Rangers. And, but we also work in Iraq and Syria. When Afghanistan fell, we went to help Afghanistan, Tajikistan, Sudan. We're getting ready to go to Ukraine in about 10 days. And Wherever we go, we are invited, and then we have to feel that God confirms that invitation. 
and we go in Jesus' name to share his love, to share his saving power, and to give humanitarian help and to get the news out. So simply, it's help people and get the news out for me in Jesus' name. But you don't have to be a Christian to be in the Freedom Rangers. You can believe in anything you want. We have only three rules. You have to do this for love because you're not going to get paid. And second, you can't run if people can't run. That's it. We never ask, you know, is it safe? Never. I never go to a place and go, is it safe? If you do that, first thing is they're going to think you're a coward. Guaranteed. Second, it means you don't trust them. What? what, what I'm, I want to die? What do you mean is it safe? Dude, we're standing right here. And so um, you do this for love. Second, you can't run if people can't run. So if the people have not been able to flee, you need to stay with them and until they can get out, or you need to live or die with them. And the third thing is you got to be able to read and write in any language to do good medicine to tell the story, to help people get the news out. Again, you don't have to be a Christian. You just got to be able to do those three things. Love, don't run if they can't run, and be able to read and write. And then in terms of physical, well, it depends on your job. The guy who runs all our finance, total stud, man, played football, everything, crashed his little private plane on a hunting trip, He's paralyzed from the neck down. He mm. runs all our finances. The style is out of his mouth. He's fit enough. He's a lot fitter than me. I can't do anything he does. And we got a guy with a pacemaker who runs our logistics. And then we got young studs who can run all day and are, are really physically tough. It's like God's kingdom is a place for everyone to do something. And our our mission is to, for me, is to share Jesus' love. And again, though, I've you know, in the Battle of Mosul, when we were there with ISIS, ISIS attacking, we were invited to help. We ended up with the Iraqi army. I should say things, something really quick. The two big gifts I received from the Battle of Mosul against ISIS was one, to love the Iraqi people. I didn't know who they were. And I'm, I'm an ex-soldier. Like, who are the Iraqis? They're the enemy. I love them to this day. That was a gift from God. And then second, to understand the difference between revenge and justice and the difference is love when you've been hurt when something's gone wrong in your life when someone's attacked you and it's just evil and it's unjust and you must correct it we're told about we have to do justice we're told that's a mandate from god and we feel it we hate all of us hate injustice but if your response is i'll crush that guy who did it he should pay then that's not justice anymore it's revenge because justice is about we need to correct this bad thing, but in love. What's the best thing for the perpetrator? As much as I want that perpetrator to die, it's better if that perpetrator changes heart. And only love changes heart. Only Jesus changes heart. You know, bullet can stop a heart, sure. And sometimes that's necessary. Or that's the only option, good option you might have. But it won't change a heart. You never impress anybody's heart by beating them up or shooting them, ever. Hearts are changed by love. And I believe, from my own experience, only Jesus can do that. So Jesus showed me when I was actually full of hate. You know, we, 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 our job is not to fight. We're doing humanitarian assistance. So ISIS will come at you with a suicide vest, just like the movies, man. Alu Akbar, boom, blow people up, shoot you, shoot kids. I saw it all the time. I never hated them. I just looked at them as, you know, deluded people working for Satan. And we'd help, and there was signs to shoot them. But when they killed this little kid next to me, which is in the documentary, something snapped, Dave, and I was just like, that's it, man. Justice. Kill them all. Kill them all. Anybody killing little kids like this, 
kill them all. And I remember asking my chaplain from Burma, because he was a free Burma Ranger, I had my medics from Burma, isn't it just to get these guys? I think so. Let's ask God. And so I said, Jesus, show me the truth of the matter. And the next morning, I opened my Bible or my Kindle and asked him to show me the truth. And I just pressed three different places, and it all said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Vengeance. It's not vengeance, it's justice. And I realized, no, what I wanted was revenge. I didn't care less about any of these ISIS guys. I didn't even think they're human anymore. Kill them all. That's not justice, that's revenge. And that revenge will eat you first. And I remember just saying, Jesus, I'm so sorry. It's like, it's, you know, it's like I was blind. It's, my eyes came open. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Revenge. I give it up. It was like a 2,000-pound weight left my shoulder. And so I know, you know, maybe for you, certainly for, for me, right here in America, you don't need ISIS to make you mad. People do you wrong. People betray you. People use the law against you. There's some stupid, wicked laws. All these things make you want to fight, man. And there, there is a time to fight and a way to fight. Jesus, do I fight this battle? And it felt how? But with love. And so those are the two big gifts. Love the Iraqis and learn the difference between revenge and justice, and that's love. And then I was free. And I remember when that weight left my shoulder, that was 5 a.m., and we went in a battle right then. And I thought, I don't have to kill anybody. I don't have to do anything but be an ambassador for Jesus. And what a freedom. What a freedom that is. And so our job is to help people get the news out. And we've been doing that in Burma for 30 years now. And then in Iraq since 2015, in Sudan since 2014, intermittently. And then when Afghanistan fell, we're still working in Tajikistan next door through church partners trying to help the Afghans. And Ukraine is very small. Um, I'll wrap this up by saying, because I got this Ukraine flag on, my, on this shirt. We... Well, I was in the battle of um, a place called Loikaw Kareni State on February the 24th, 20, uh, 2022, last year, when the Russians invaded Ukraine. We were in our own invasion. I'm dragging the body of one of my best guys. He's bleeding out a hole through his neck and a hole through his head from Russian airplanes that the Burma Army dictators are using. We got three million displaced in two years alone. We've got millions more displaced, thousands killed, 59 of my guys now dead. I'm dragging this body, and then I hear about Ukraine. I'm like, who cares about Burma? This is happening every day. It's not even in the news. And I thought, I'm not going to Ukraine because people ask me, hey, man, you're the free Burma Rangers. You don't have any safety rules. Send your medics to be helping Ukraine. And I thought, of course they need help in Ukraine. But they need help in Burma too, and no one's helping here. But then we kept getting invited, and finally a young Ukrainian woman came to Burma and said, I said, why do you want to come here? She said, I want to share the suffering. We finally know what it's like to be in war in Ukraine now, my generation. We just got attacked. I know about Burma. I want to say we're in this together. I want to encourage them to follow Jesus. I want to encourage them, don't feed your fears, feed your faith. And so I brought her in. So anyways, I know there's a super long answer to your question, but we're going to take a little trip to Ukraine, and please pray for us because I don't know what we're going to do there. We're not, we don't, we're not the U.S. 7th Fleet. We're not the 101st Airborne Division. We're just going with my family some of our medics from Burma and saying, we're with you in Jesus name. How can we help? Oh man, you just, you just, uh, dropped so many incredible bombs right there that I, that I'm just going to have to process that I want to go back to. Uh, so first of all, you're still, you're still taking your family. You guys are all still going 
together. Man, that's amazing. Yeah, we, my kids grew up with us. Yeah, everywhere. You know, not any, not any different than the 1800s when a young man and woman got married in Massachusetts or New York and went west. The frontier with no 911, no police, no hospitals. Just me and my wife figured out. Now we got kids. Now the kids are gathering firewood. Now they're hunting. That's how my kids grew yeah. up um, in Burma, then to the other areas. Now the girls are in college, the Haley Kusan, or in the University of Texas A&M. But every summer, which is now, they come with us to Burma and do, do missions with us. They're both interested in medical sciences, so they do that kind of stuff with us. And then they'll go to Ukraine with us, and then they'll go straight from Ukraine back to Texas A&M and start the fall semester. And nobody, nobody's having a better year. summer than they are. Yeah. Wow, that's so good. You know, I I think there's a lot of good theology in what you just said because, you know, I talk to um, people who they're praying for God to fix their their problem or their danger or their sickness or whatever that they're in. And then, you know, you hear these people that are saying, you know, he's he's going to do it. God's going to God's going to take away the the disease because, um, you know, I've asked it in his name. He's going to. And. You know, one of my concerns there is a lot of people set themselves up with that sort of bad theology for when or if, rather, if God chooses to to bring them home, right? If God chooses to, like he, like God chose to allow Paul to have this affliction, right? Paul asked three times for this affliction to be taken away. And you think, you know, hey, if if God didn't make everything better for Paul— and for Peter, and for John, and for Thomas, and for James, and the list goes on and on. If God doesn't just make everything better for those guys, why would we think he's going to make everything better and safe for us in this life, right? We've got to have exactly what you just said, that mentality of, but if not, right? But but if you choose not to do this, God, but if not, um, I'm good either way. You know, here's my request. I'd much prefer to not get blown up today, God. But if not, I'm still doing the exact same mission. I'm not going to let that deter me. You know, you you spoke at the beginning about safety and how you don't allow any of your people to ask the question, is it safe? I think this is so, so powerful. Um, America is arguably the safest place that, that a person could have lived in the uh, history of the universe, Right. Um, we're about as safe as it comes and we just keep praying for more safety, right? We're just, you know, and we've actually done a podcast on this where I was, you know, just sharing, Hey, we have a safety brief before every flight in the air force, but that doesn't mean we don't fly. You know, if we, you know, everybody says safety first, but honestly, if safety was first, you wouldn't, you wouldn't try to go fly an airplane. Um, so at a certain point you have to say, Safety is important, and we need to do things as safe as possible, but not at the expense of the mission. The mission's number one. We're getting in the airplane, and we're going to go fly, right? And you are you are 100% setting that example. So let's talk a little bit about how you got started in this thing. So you were U.S. Army officer, special forces. And what, what prompted you at the very beginning to take this leap into, into the jungles? Um, to start up Free Burma Rangers. Yeah, I, 
I, you know, I like what you said about safety. Of course, we all want to be safe. But like you said, it's the mission is first. The mission from God is first. Then you find the safest way to do it. Yeah. So it doesn't hurt, and so you can get it done. But of course, we all want safety, but it has to always be next. It has to be the last. We're gonna do, it's, it's like when you get married or find a woman of your dreams. You don't ask yourself, is it safe? You say, <laughs> I want her. And then you figure out the most honorable, good, safe way to do that. But you, you like you said, it's safety first. You do nothing. So, yeah, and, you know, when we climb, we're always inspecting each other. I'm just doing a technical climb, and I've been doing it my whole life with my partners. We lay, just like the military, man, we lay everything out. Nobody gets a pass. It doesn't matter if you're the climbing leader and you've done this forever. That's the great thing about the military. You know, you just put everything out and you go, boom. It doesn't matter if you're a general or a private. It's always the same. Everybody does it. And, well, maybe you shouldn't have this in your podcast, but I came out of Syria. And we have a lot of stuff. You know, we, our job is not to fight. Often I have no weapons at all. Because whether you have a weapon or not, we're going to go. But in Syria, we had a lot because we got attacked a lot. And so I had pistols, hand grenades, rifles, machine guns, all this stuff. And there's ammo everywhere. And we come into, um, we come back into Iraq and then we're doing all our debrief and putting our stuff away. And I said, Hey kids, remember, check all your, your, your rucksacks because they're going to be up with your carry ons tomorrow. And now we're going back to the real world. You go to an airport, man. And so, and our SOP as a family is you dump everything. And we do an inspection. You know, my kids have been traveling their whole life. doesn't matter. We do a layout inspection before every, every trip overseas. Here's my ruck. Here's my headlamp. Here's my Gore-Tex. Here's my knife. My knife's in that backpack. And we do it by the numbers. Invariably somebody, yes, somebody forgets something. And, and then I do it too. I set the example. Well, there's one particular that I was in a hurry and I'd already checked my ruck. And so I said, I'm telling them what to do. And the kids are dumping their ruck. I'm like, I don't need to dump my ruck. I've already dumped my ruck. And I thought, no, if you tell them to do it, you got to do it. And I stood up there and I said, nothing's in my ruck. I did this shake, shake, shake. And you know that little water thing that they make now for the camelback that slot? Yeah. A hand grenade was in there. (laughs) (laughs) And this hand grenade, you know, my hand grenades are all taped, you know, but still, it's not dangerous. But it goes thunk on the ground and it looks at me, Dad! (laughs) Yeah, try explaining that one at security. Oh, my God. I know this sounds weird for Americans, but this is world. But my point of that story is none of us are above idiocy or mistakes or even not idiocy. Shaking's not you put your hand in it, man. That's the awesome thing about the military. You check with your you put your finger on that thing. You know, so we go to the airport. I want to see and touch every passport and they see and touch mine and little things like that, because the difference between amateur and professional is an amateur nine times out of 10 will be OK. They just forget that one time. But a professional, because they check, they're no better than the amateur, because they check 10 times out of 10, they'll have it because of each other. And that one little time extra makes the difference between, you know, defeat and victory, life and death often. So, boy, it's a separate. Boy, that's good. I'll tell you what, man. (laughs) What was your question? I've heard a lot of, you know, definitions of the difference between an amateur and a professional. And that's the best one I've ever heard right there. Um, yeah, that's great. 10 out of 10. I love it. Um, 
Yeah, the question was, and you know, not because you're better, because you check everything. Yeah, that's right. It's because you're just, and it's actually because you're not allowing yourself to think that you're better, right? You're right. Uh, you're not allowing yourself to get cocky and complacent, right? I think about this when it comes to like flying and checklist discipline, right? Maintaining checklist discipline in the right. aircraft, you might have that checklist memorized because you've done it a couple thousand times. But that doesn't mean you don't still open it up, right? You better have it opened on your on your kneeboard, in your hand, turn to the page, read it, point to it, go through it step by step, whether you've memorized it or not. So you can't ever get cocky. And I think, you know, as Christians, we get we get very complacent with so many things, right? It's easy to just start dialing it in. Right, start phoning it in instead of really showing up and bringing it um, every week, every day. So, um, yeah, I was asking when you get started at the very beginning, Free Burma Rangers. You know what was it you were seeing or hearing in your life that made you say, "This is what I want to do. I'm going to go. I'm going to go live in the jungle and do this." Well, I grew up with the missionary kids. My parents. My dad fought in the Korean War. He's an Aggie, also. My granddad was an Aggie, fought in World War One. Oh man! And I grew up in the jungle. Yeah, I grew up out of in the country in Thailand. My mom was on Broadway. She's a an actress and a singer. So she left Broadway. My dad from the military went to oil business in Texas, and he left the oil business. They're not very normal people, and they got married. And they, I was born in Texas, but when I was nine months old, we went to Thailand, and I grew up in Thailand. I remember when I was five years old. I was back behind the house looking at the jungles around us, blue sky, and I thought one day I'll be a soldier, then I'll be a missionary. Mm. And, you know, I don't, I feel that was from God, yeah. me and God. But, you know, my dad was that. So is it, you know, the love and respect of my dad and emulating my dad? I, I'm not sure. I'm sure that's part of it. You know, we, we, when we do God's work, we are God's hands and feet. So when parents obey Jesus and love their kids, their kids can see some of God in there. And so it's, it's, there's something going on in there. That's, that's the gift of working for God is that people will tell you, I'm sure they've told you, wow, you know, you really ministered me with those words. Yeah, because you're God's servant and they can see God through you and through your actions. So anyway, I thought, okay, maybe it'll be that. So I went on to school, got an army ROTC scholarship, went to Texas A&M. I was in the, down in Panama as a reconnaissance platoon leader. And then I was in the second range of battalion. Then I went special forces. And the, but, you know, that I can't tell the story without telling the story of big failure. And, you know, just this morning I was out on, I was trying, I, I tore my hamstring. That's why I'm moving around. I tore my hamstring playing football last week. So it's hard to even sit straight. But, um, I went out to see if I could run today. And I was kind of run, walk, run, walk up this hill. And I hadn't done my devotions yet. And so I was just praying and doing my devotions as I walked up the hill and just doing an inventory of my sins, the major ones I could think of. And I've done this a million times, but I really started to think back, um, just trying to clean myself and clear myself. And thinking of the different steps of not putting Jesus first and what that resulted in. And, and so looking at even my life right now, don't do that again. 
you know, we're, you're going to be faced with that every day. Jesus first, otherwise it's, it's not good. So as I was thinking and praying about all that, I was in the military and I met a, a very nice lady and married her. Not for godly reasons. And, you know, like the Pharisees, they know how to play the game. I did. And I just took something. I didn't receive it. You know, from God wants to give you things. But if you take it, you might take something good, but it's not yours. It won't work. I mean, maybe if you surrender to God again, he can make it work. Because he's the master of taking our sins and going, okay, that was stupid. You say you're sorry? I'm going to give you something good. Drive the devil crazy. Because the math is all wrong. But if you never say, I'm sorry, I surrender, then there's no fixing that thing. So I did that, which was a total disaster. And um, after three years, she's gone. And I'd done nothing wrong. You know, I didn't even drink. I love beer now. I didn't even drink beer in those days, man. I was a warrior monk. And I didn't do anything unfaithful. I never did anything. I did nothing right except put Jesus second and me first, mm. the warrior first. So that's the violation of the first commandment. You're already lost. You know, you can go to school, you can go to church every Sunday, but if Jesus isn't first in our lives, we're already violating commandments. So that brought me to my knees. And I thought, I said, Jesus, show me the truth of what happened. And next thing I know, I was on my knees crying. And I saw the world, and I saw this little man on it, and I saw the blue of the atmosphere and the black of outer space, and I saw like a lightning bolt, like a chasm that, that came through the universe, through the black of outer space, through the blue of the atmosphere, through me, swirled out the other side. That chasm is called divorce. It's a big deal. Huge. And I thought, oh, my gosh, and I'm part of that. I'm a loser. I grew up as a missionary kid. You don't do that stuff. Only losers do that. And I realized I am a loser. And wow. wow. That's pretty humbling. Um, to win, win, and win. And even if I didn't win and things, I could find a way to get there. You know, <laughs> you know, I was in the Air Force. You may not be the bestest, but you'll do that, 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 and you're going to get there. And now I'm just totally lost. And so I asked Jesus to forgive me. And I said, I do whatever you want, but there's no way now I can be a missionary. I'm tainted. There's mm. no way. And so I'll just stay in the army and put you first, my men second, and me last, which was not the order it was. I, I totally changed because of you, you know. But then I put my, I opened the Bible to seal the deal. And I, I, I this is my theological technique. I pray and I open it and went, boom. And it was Isaiah 6, 8. And that's where God says, you know, who will go first? Who will be sent? Who you know, who will go? Isaiah says, I'll do it, but I'm a man of unclean lips. I want the people unclean lips. And God sends an angel and purifies him. Yeah. I thought, really? Wow. I hate telling the story, Dave, because I hate, you know, it being revealed. I'm such a selfish idiot. But um, when you're asking about the documentary movie, when people first approached us about making a documentary and would think about telling the story, one thing that really struck me was, well, the 
will show the truth, of course, no problem. Start to know the real us, I cannot stand the scrutiny. I can't stand the scrutiny. I'm not perfect. I got many things wrong. And even in my best moments, there's things that aren't that great. And then I thought, you don't have, you can't stand the scrutiny. No human can, only Jesus. So do the documentary, tell the truth, and point to Jesus. Because none of us can stand the scrutiny. Only he can. And so yeah. even though it's not fun to tell these stories of failure, I thank God for his saving grace, his forgiveness, and new starts. I've been married to Karen 30 years. So then after all this, I meet this lady who wanted to be a nun, never kissed a guy, <laughs> and she marries me. Like, come on. She's so much better a follower of Jesus, at least in the way I look at things, than I am. And, you know, we have different gifts in different ways. I know we, we both have, we complement each other. But still... If you looked at it mathematically, I don't deserve it at all. This shouldn't be the way. She should get some nice, like, youth group guy, you know? <laughs> um, anyway, wow. And then the lady who divorced me, um, we reconciled. I was never mad at her. I was actually relieved. I was like, good. She's a bad person. I'm good. I'm free now. That was before Jesus showed me how screwed up I was. But... I ended up baptizing her daughters. Mm. She got remarried and came back and said, can you baptize my daughters? I'd already, to stack up that, after it was all over and after Jesus showed me my wrong, my wrong being, you know, me was first, not God and not her. Um, I went and got on my knees in front of her and her family and asked forgiveness. And anyway, after that, so I baptized her daughters, like a Christian soap opera, man. Wow. And she loves my. That's said, powerful. You should married from the beginning. You shouldn't have married me. I tried to tell you, but you just took it. <laughs> and um, so anyway, that's not very fun, but that's really what happened. So in the yeah. midst of all that, I felt I got invited to go to Burma in the middle of this whole thing. And so I get out of the army. I go to seminary. I go to Burma. Karen and I are actually married on the beach in Malibu in 1993, and our honeymoon is going to Burma. That's our first mission together. <laughs> and um, that's how it started. So I, the short answer is surrender to God, surrender to Jesus, and saying, I'll do whatever you want. And then things happen. And I'll just wrap it up with this. In my life of mission and faith, it's always been like this. God gives an invitation. And, and you're trying to discern, is this God, is this man, whatever. And I, I put all my motives up on the altar. And it really helps. Now, there's two of you with all of your motives, the good motives and the bad motives and the embarrassing motives. Hide nothing. I mean, that way Satan's got nothing on you. You know, I want to do this because people ask me to help, because I really care about them, because I want to cry, I feel so strongly, and because people think I look cool. Put it all up there. Every motive, stick it up there. And then say, your hands are off it and say, Jesus, I will, now you know everything, I will obey you at all costs, whatever it is. Get back to me what you want me to do. And we make that prayer together. It, we have never failed to be unified in spirit of what God wants us to do. We may not agree up here. We may go, I didn't want to do that. But you have that peace. Nope. It's, I, it kind of sucks, but it's right. God's in this. We go. And so we 
that's how we prayed about everything. And that's when these invitations from Burma came, that's how it was. And then later on in Iraq, we were invited to go to Iraq, the same thing. And the doors opened. And we had that peace that this is from God. And we went. So in all those cases, it's kind of like we almost every case, we didn't have quite enough money or, or this or that or this or that to do the whole thing. But we had that peace to take a step. And every time it took that step of commitment, like you're walking, and you know, at some point when you're, when you're, say your right leg's out there and you're leaning forward and there's no coming back, the next foot's going to come. At that moment, point of total commitment, God does something. But I've never, he, he, I don't think he trusts me to give me a bunch of stuff. He never gives me a bunch of stuff while I'm standing solid and then I get to do something. I've always got to take that step. And I'm already committed. There's no going back. The gravity's going forward. And then he has someone, a person, a permission, a funding, a way. That's what it is for me. I don't know about others. But so every time, I remember one time, this is a little bit different, but we were in Syria. And we, there was heavy fighting. This is when the Turks invaded in 2019. And which is a whole other story. The Kurds are getting smoked. It's a constant retreat. We're running a medical evac. And we have some armored vehicles to help do that. And the Kurds come in and go, hey, we got guys pinned down. There's three guys wounded under that hill. But on that hill are the proxies of the Turks, which includes ISIS, with Dushkas, 50 cows, um, the Cornet anti-tank rockets, smoke, basically a tow, and RPGs and everything else. So you drive your vehicle there, it's going to get smoked. How are you going to make it? It's all open. It's not one tree. You're just driving across a wheat field under the hill. The enemy's on the hill. And then the distance from the enemy to the to ours is about two to three meters. That's point That's rifle range. Not only RPG, rockets, and everything else. You're not going to make it. And I remember saying, you know, praying and going, we always say yes to this. You're not going to say no when someone gets hurt. But we always still pray, and I pray, and I start praying for protection. I'm putting my gear on, and I'm praying and praying, you know, feverishly because I'm scared. And I felt God say to me, Dave, get used to it. This is not the last time you're going to ask me for protection, is it? Get used to it. Just talk to me and go. Because this isn't, you, you act like, if you only save me once, Lord, that's all you got to do. If you only give me this amount of money right now, it's all you got to do. If you just clear this legal problem for me, it's all you got to do. No, our whole lives we need him. Our whole lives we need him. So get used to it and just say, Lord, I need this help. Teach me how to pray. Thank you in Jesus' name. I'm going. That's awesome, boy. You know what you what you said. The story you told about your uh, your divorce. Uh, you know, one of our so our motto in Men's Alliance is tribal, rugged, real. Those three words, and boy, was that real, right? And one of the biggest problems that that I have with you know, call it our culture or whatever is this, uh, this constant tendency for men to say that they're fine, right. To wear this facade, uh, especially in church lobbies on Sunday morning, right. We're, we're going in and out of church by the coffee and we're bumping into guys we know and everybody says that they're fine. Nobody's fine, right. Everybody's got problems. Everybody's got struggles. And we've all got big stuff in our past too. We've all got big stuff in our past. And 
for so many men that that past thing, whatever it was, Satan holds it up and shows it to them every day to keep them quiet on the sideline. Right. And what I'm hearing from you, part of your story is you, you rejected that notion. Right. And you're like, especially when they're like, Hey, we want to come make a documentary about you. Right. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine what I would be thinking if somebody wanted to come make a documentary about me, I'd, I'd be having the same thought. I'd be like, Oh no, all my, all my dirt's going to come out. Right. <laughs> Everybody's going to find out. Right. The only way around that is to put it out there first. Right. And just be like, Hey guys, I'm not perfect. I've got all this junk in my past. I bet you a lot of you do too. Here's what we got to do. We got to ask God for forgiveness. We got to do the work to change, not not fall back into that. But more importantly, we got to get up and, and move forward. And wow, when you share that, that's just powerful. That's you being real, right? And then the second the second word in our motto is rugged, right? And that's all about rejecting comfort as it, as it relates to spiritual comfort zones, right? Not just the physical, but a lot of men don't want to get out of their comfort zones spiritually. They don't want to open their mouth to take a stand for Jesus at their workplace or around their family or wherever. So you're, you're probably the most rugged and real dude out there right now. You know, you are, I know you don't think that, right? I see the face you're making, um, but it's because you've, you've been doing it for so long. But, you know, I wonder sometimes when you come back to America, when you're back in the States, what's your feeling about, For I'm just so curious, a guy who just spends months in the jungles and then you come back to the States and you go to a church on a Sunday morning is it at all frustrating to you to see all these Christians or perhaps nominal Christians or whatever, you know, that are just so comfortable and not making a difference? I would imagine if you're out there on the front line getting shot at and you come back and you see all these comfortable Christians, that's got to be frustrating, right? Well, you know, I, I get to meet people like you, and I thank God for you. You're bold in your faith. You're taking your time to do this. The America that I see, the church, the best thing about America is the church, by far. Absolutely. You know, democracy, democracy is good. It's a system. It's not at all perfect, obviously. There's, you know, democracy without love is two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. You know, you ask someone in Eastern California how democracy works for them. They lose every vote to the big cities. And so, if, you know, how does democracy work for this minority or that minority? Not so great that there's not love. Thank God for a Bill of Rights. Thank God for states with different rights. So the best thing is democracy in American system works better than any other. Sure. But it's a constant struggle. But the first is, the, you know, to me, the best thing about America is the church. The second is the beauty and the nature. And the third is the government system. That's my opinion. That's, that's the way I look at it. And we get to come back to America and meet people like you. It just inspires me. And here in this rodeo camp, just today, this two 
food comes up to me, he's like six three, six four, the bulldogger, you know, two hundred and forty pounds of all American stud cowboy. <laughs> and he's like got my shoulder like this. And so and he's a he's a real deal. His wife died a few years ago and he has quite a testimony. He just got remarried. I'm surrounded by these kind of people. And so I usually come back to America. I don't want to come to America because I just come out of a war zone. My friends got killed and I, I need to stay with them. But we have different you know, prayers and commitments and the girls going to school. As soon as I land here and I come into like this Christian rodeo camp, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Thank you, Lord. I'm here. So I usually end up leaving America feeling spiritually clean and refilled by oh, awesome. American Christians. Yeah. And it is the hope of our country. It is the hope of our country. Jesus is first in politics and everything. And I believe, you know, we have different values and we have conflict over values. Um, you know, I prefer security. I prefer a better school system, whatever. That's your right. And so you compromise values. But virtues, virtues, that's the war. A virtue, you know, is, is, is honesty good or not? Is faith in God good or not? These are virtues. And so I think the role of the church is to keep pointing out the virtues that are only sustainable with Jesus. They're not sustainable by ourselves. And then when we have these virtues that come from Jesus and we share them together, then we can work without fighting each other on values. We can find compromises that have harmony. Okay, you don't like to do that? Go live over there, man. I'll live over here and I'll see you just on 4th of July. But I think the, the church is the most powerful, wonderful institution in America. And it's our, it's our only hope. And if, uh, I remember once a journalist asked an ethnic leader that loves me, just thinks we're the greatest thing. It embarrasses me all the time, but talks about how great I am. He's a, a Karen tribal leader. He actually just passed away. Anytime people talk about us, he goes on and on. He's like my extra to that. So this journalist asked him, what about the free member rangers? Are they good or are they bad? And I was getting ready to get embarrassed. You know how that is when someone's going to talk you up? I'm like, oh, boy. And he goes, the tribal leader goes, free member rangers? Good? When they follow God, they're good. When they don't, they're bad. Mm. And so when America follows God, it's good. When it doesn't, it's bad. And that's – so we want to – if we want to be a good nation, a great nation, it's very simple. Not easy, but it's simple. Follow God. Follow God. And that's the only way through. And so I appreciate, you know, this podcast. I appreciate you being bold in the things of Jesus and then asking for love. When you look at something that you feel is evil, how do you approach that? And I like what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the Russian dissident, you know, um, the line of good and evil isn't between states and nations and peoples and races and tribes. It's in the human heart. Every day I've got to decide here. And then the other thing he said, which is right at the same time, he says, in the best person, there's a shred of evil and the opportunity for more. And in the worst person, there's a shred of good and opportunity for more. So when I see someone that repulses me by their political stance, by their moral stance, my first feeling is, oh, that's the devil. That's horrible. But if I stop and pray and go, no, that's God's child, there's some good in there. Lord Jesus, help me find it and protect me as I go. And do I even get engaged? 
And it doesn't mean you acquiesce to the immorality or the evil. It means that you're loving. And then the most loving thing to do sometimes is say, I love you, but I can't agree with that. Yeah. So don't be afraid of me. I'm following God's standard. You, you, you face God, man. I mean, I'm going to love you, but I got to walk this way. I got to vote this way because that's how I feel God has me. But I'm not your judge. This is what I think is north. I can't throw my compass away because you decided you don't like north this way. You like it that way. And yeah. so, and I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday here when we talk about politics. I have to stop and take my political thoughts and give them back to Jesus. Okay, what do you want me to do about it? And then only do the thing he gives you. There's probably 50 things in our heads that ought to be changed, ought to be done. This is wrong. This is evil. And we're probably right about them. But did he ask you to do anything about them? No. And if he didn't, then you're, you're, you're fighting a hopeless battle, and he's not on your side. You may be doing the right thing, but he didn't ask you to do it. And there's that you know, a friend of mine who lost an airplane crash. He was a pilot. He said when – and he was one of – him and his wife survived. which was horrible. Lost his three daughters. He said, you know, one thing after that, I realize now there's a swamp of sin on one side that I shouldn't get engaged with. And there's a swamp of good things or ought to do things or Christian church things that God did not tell me to do. I can get lost in both swamps. Yeah. One is selfish and the other is fear of man or whatever or anger. But the things God has me to do, it's a narrow path. And he has no speed limit. He has no caution sign. Go as fast as you want on his lane. It's free. And so for me, it's when I come back to America, it's praying for people who have political roles, thanking God for them, and opening myself up. I told a good friend of mine, Congressman Louis Gohmert. Um, he's not in Congress anymore, but I love him. He's from Texas. And I said, if you ever need me, and I say this to my other congressional friends, Brian Babin, I don't have that many friends there, but the few that I have there, if you want me to do something for America, I'm in. If God tells me, I'm in politically. But, you know, he's never asked me to do anything, and no one's asked me to do anything. So, like, okay, God, you know what I feel? If you didn't ask me to do it, so I'm going to focus on what you asked me to do, and that's enough. You know, I love that because we can all we can all busy ourselves with a million good things that will take us right. off of our mission, right? I can imagine that right. you, you you've probably said – no to uh, 10,000 great things uh, through your years uh, because they're good things or great things, but they're somebody else's thing because you're on a clear mission, right? And I think that uh, this can happen to all of us. I love how you've got the analogy of the swamp on both sides. You know, back to Solzhenitsyn and the, the, the good and the bad in each person's heart. That's a very powerful thing to, that you said to ask God to give you love, uh, praying for love. Um, that's a, that's a very powerful thing. That's profound too. Uh, I would just say guys listening to this podcast, if you're struggling with hate towards somebody, whether it's, you know, we're, we're very ideologically divided right now as a nation and it's, everything seems to be framed as us versus them and everything. And just remember, you know, every single person, is a child of God. And, 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 you know, amazing thought is when you see that person who's the exact opposite of you and you feel that emotional rise up, swelling up inside of you, that's pulling you towards hate. Just remind yourself that God 
loves that person the exact same as he loves you. You're not, you're not any more special than that, than that person. Right. And that, for me, that's a very humbling thought, right? Hey, God loves that person just as much as he loves me and asking God to help put love in your heart, even though you're, you can be like, God, I don't feel it right now. It's not an emotional feeling, but I need to show love towards this person, right? And treat them the way you would. That's, that's extremely powerful. Well, Dave, uh, thank you so much for your time. I got to ask you just in closing here question that I, I just love to ask all of our guests, uh, that are, that are like you that are out there doing these kind of huge things. Got to ask you two questions. One, what's your favorite guy movie? Oh, wow. Favorite, just uh, good old guy movie. What's that? The, the mission. You ever heard of the mission? No. huh? Oh man. Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, true story, true story. Watch it. The mission. Okay. And this is great. This is why I ask. A man for all seasons. Okay. I think I think those two. It's a wonderful life. Wow, what a conversation with David Eubank of Free Burma Rangers. Their website is freeburmarangers.org. If you want to learn more about him, his family, and the work that they've been doing. Um, around the world. They started in Burma, but as you heard him say, you know, they've been, they've been working in, in many different countries, guys. There's so many great organizations like this. There's so many men out there doing tremendous things for Christ. There are, there are people building medical clinics in South America in the name of Jesus. There are people digging wells in Africa in his name. There's people smuggling Bibles into countries where they're illegal. And there's men like Dave Eubanks caring for the people caught in civil wars in countries around the world. Lift these people up in your prayers and take inspiration from their stories, from their lives, so that we can step out of our comfort zones daily for Christ. Right, The next time that you're considering opening your mouth to say something, to taking a stand and you're, and you're afraid and you're thinking about keeping your mouth shut. Think about Dave Eubanks. Think about the danger that he puts himself in constantly and let that inspire you to step up, get on the field, get out of your comfort zone. Guys, I look forward to seeing more of you as I get the chance to visit more tribes, and I look forward to seeing you around the fire soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Men's Alliance podcast. Find your tribe at mensalliancetribe.com, or maybe you're the man to start one in your area. And send us your questions or comments to info at mensalliancetribe.com. We'd love to hear from you, and we look forward to seeing you around the fire soon.